Well, thank you again, music team. Justin, Brandon, Isabel. You guys sound great. It's always wonderful to do that a cappella. And I get to sit over here by Emily, which is always nice. To makes my voice sound better as well. So thank you again, music team. And welcome to Grace Bible Church, Gainesville service for July 30th, 2023. July 30th already. Can you believe that? Four weeks till Gators football begins. Sorry, hon. Uh, it seems like it went so fast this summer. I, I, it's amazing how fast the years go by. And as always, always it's an honor for me to be able to open and share God's Word with everyone. Today, we're going to continue our walk through the Psalms. We're going to look at Psalm 17. You know, we started with Psalm 1. I think it was in, I don't know, January or February. And we since then, we've weaved our way already up to Psalm 17. And we will be skipping over Psalm 18 the next time I preach, just because it has 50 verses. But I do hope to circle back sometime and preach through it, if the Lord wills. And maybe I can get three or four sermons out of that. But today we'll be looking at Psalm 17, and I'm hoping that these have been a blessing to all of you. It's, it's been hopefully a blessing to look at the Old Testament, the way they looked at God and, and how He is their, their Lord. And then as we look at, at Matthew when Brandon's preaching, our Lord is here. The, the coming Messiah is there. And hopefully it gives that good balance. And Lord willing, next Sunday, like I said, we'll be back in the, the Sermon on the Mount with Pastor Brandon. And last Sunday, we walked through Psalm 16. This is where David showed us how to be faithful to God no matter what. No matter what life can throw at us or even, even death. That if we're not ready to die with a faithfulness to the Lord, then we aren't ready to live with a faithfulness to the Lord. And for those of us who were, who were here and watched the Essential Church last Sunday, we saw the pressures of three pastors that they felt from the authorities during COVID and that they opened their churches back up for services. They felt that pressure from the authorities. They had to have the faithfulness to trust God that, <clears throat> that their cause was just. That what they were doing was the right thing. And that the Lord would take care of them. To have faithfulness. To have faithfulness. We need a faithfulness to have the faith to trust that we are in the right. Because we live in a fallen world, so when we're doing the right thing, when we're being faithful to the Lord, our faithfulness will bring with it a cost. And sometimes it's our life. There have been many Christians down through the centuries who have given their lives because they were faithful. And the church will always be the target of the world. We saw that in 2020 as we watched the, the documentary. And it will happen again. We will be under duress again someday, maybe soon. And so, in Psalm 17, it's a good psalm for us to look at today. Because here in Psalm 17, we find David, he's in, he's in a tight spot. He's under some kind of duress here. He's in some kind of trouble where he's asking God for help. And we can't be sure exactly what's going on in his life at this time, but we do know he's in trouble and he's, his life is being threatened. And again, as Christians, we, we will pay a price for our faith. And for us here in 
In Gainesville, at this moment, we thank the Lord. Our lives aren't being threatened, but the world is moving in closer and closer. And so, to be a believer, it will get harder and harder, whether in the workplace or at school or wherever we go, as the world closes in. Because the world wants uniformity. They want everyone loving the same thing, doing the same thing, worshiping the same thing, and doing the same sins. And so we see things like Pride Month becoming mandatory. We must celebrate it or else. And so for believers, we feel, we feel this dissatisfaction from others, a dislike from others. And it will only get worse as the world continues to descend downward into sin. And so when this happens, it, and it will happen, so if we're believers and we're, we're living with a faithfulness to the Lord, and it will happen, and we, what do we do then? Well, we take it to the Lord. But when we take it to the Lord, how do we pray to the Lord for help? Well, in Psalm 17, this is what David is going to show us today. This is why Psalm 17 is important for us because David shows us that if we're going to pray to the Lord, the most important part of our prayer is what we think about God or how well do we know Him. Because this will affect the way we pray to Him. The way, the way that we think about God is, is going to affect the way we pray to Him. Now, this may seem strange for us to say this because we can say, well, <laughs> I've been praying to God for a long time. I, I think I can do that. I think I know how to pray to Him. Well, maybe, but maybe not. Do you really know the God to whom you're praying to? And this is the beauty of the Psalms because they teach us about God. So the Psalms not only teach us to worship God, but they also teach us about God and how we should relate to Him and pray to Him. Is there a right and wrong way to pray to God? Well, the title of today's sermon is The Prayer of an Obedient Man. And what David is going to do here in Psalm 17, he's going to show us three ways that when we're, when we're living with a faithfulness to God and we come under duress, when we come under attack, how should we go to God for help? And in Psalm 17, we get to see a man after God's own heart, connect and pray to His Lord. And if we're Christians, if we're believers who have had our sins forgiven and we're reconciled to God, here in Psalm 17, David will show us how to talk with God, how to pray to Him. And what we'll see is the, is the vastness, the largeness of God's character, which should help us then to trust Him more, which should then be able to help us to be able to go to Him and rest in Him. And so if you have your Bibles and you haven't already done so, I invite you to please turn with me to Psalm 17. Psalm 17. And again, we don't know exactly what's going on in David's life at this time, but from the looks of it, he's under duress. He's feeling the pressure from men. And it looks like as if one of these men is, is, is a ringleader and they're trying to bring David down. So he feels like he's under attack. They're out to get him. And David feels, he really feels his human weakness. And so he looks up to God. He looks up to God for help, and he's asking God to deliver him. So let's read Psalm 17. Now I'm going to, I'll be reading from the Legacy Bible. Psalm 17, and God's Word reads, A Prayer of David. Hear a righteous cause, O Yahweh, give heed to my cry of lamentation. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. May my judgment come from your presence. May your eyes behold what is upright. 
You have tested my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tried me and and you find nothing. I have proposed that my mouth will not transgress. For as the deeds of men, by the word of your lips, I have kept from the paths of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My footsteps have not stumbled. I have called upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my speech. Marvelously show your loving kindness. O Savior of those who take refuge at your right hand, from those who rise up against them, keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. From the wicked who devastate me, my deadly enemies who surround me, they have closed their unfeeling heart. With their mouth, they speak proudly. They have now surrounded us in our steps. They have set their eyes to cast us down to the ground. He is like a lion that is eager to tear and as a young lion lurking in hiding places. Arise, O Yahweh, confront him, bring him low. Protect my soul from the wicked with your sword. From men with your hand, O Yahweh. From men of the world whose portion is in this life and whose belly you fill with your treasure. They are satisfied with children and leave their excesses to their infants. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. And that ends the reading of God's holy word. Let's go to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. And Father, we are so thankful for the book of Psalms because it helps us know you more. Lord, we know that we live in, in a fallen world and this fallen world, it, it continues to get darker and more wicked. But Father, we want to stay faithful. And we know that to be faithful, it will come with a cost. But help us to trust in you. Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit will be our guide today as we look at Psalm 17. And Father, forgive me my shortcomings and preach a better message than I have prepared. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So again, here in Psalm 17, David is going to show us how to pray to God when the wickedness of this world comes after us to pressure us and to do battle with us. And in these 15 verses, we'll see how David prayed to God for help and what, he, and what we'll see is he did it in three ways. He prayed in or with three different depths or understanding of who God is. And we'll get a better understanding here of why David is a man after God's own heart. Because he knows the God to whom he's praying to. So let's look at these three depths of, of David's prayer. First, in verses 1-5, through five, we're going to see David praying to God the judge. David prays to God the judge. Second, in verses 6-12, through 12, we'll see David praying to God his compassionate Savior. His compassionate Savior. And then third, in verses 13-15, through 15, we'll see David praying to God the satisfying protector. David prays to God, his satisfying protector. So in just these 15 verses, we get a glimpse of the vastness, the, 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 the depth of God's character in this prayer of David. We see God as judge, as compassionate Savior, and as satisfying protector. The prayer of an obedient man. 
So let's dive into God's holy word in Psalm 17. First, David prays to God the judge, verses 1 through 5. God the judge. Not just a judge, but the supreme judge of heaven and earth. And here in verses 1 and 2, what we see David doing is he's crying out, crying out to God the judge. He's crying out for vindication, <laughs> that he's justified. To David, the only person that matters that he's not guilty of doing anything wrong to is God Almighty. For David, those who are after him, those who may be pressuring him to join in with the sin of the world, they don't matter one bit. No, it's only to the holy, supreme judge of heaven and earth. And so he begins this prayer by bringing his appeal to the highest court there ever is, there ever can be. Verse 1. He says, Hear a righteous cause, O Yahweh. Give heed to my cry of lamentation. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. Again, if we're going to follow Christ here in this world, we're going to be at odds with this world. So we, we don't buy into the lie that if, I don't know if you guys have heard this, but if we can just make Christianity more cool or more fun, that if we just mix 50% of the world with 50% of Christianity, then the world will love us and they'll want to be like us. And they'll leave us alone. But that's not how it works. Because the world hated Jesus Christ when He came. And remember, He told His disciples that because they hate Me, they're going to hate you. And now that includes us. And so here we are as believers. We're, we're hated by the world. And so we're going we're to feel like David does here. We're going to suffer or experience all the different kinds of, of persecution. Some will be mild and maybe some won't be so mild. And here we have David appealing to God as the righteous judge of heaven and earth. As judge. David trusts that God will judge him fairly and in complete righteousness. Which again shows his closeness with God. Because he isn't shrinking away from God. No, he's coming to God. He's boldly asking for justice. And so he begins like someone who would approach a judge's bench. He says, Hear a righteous cause, O Yahweh. Give heed to my cry of lamentation. He's presenting his case to God. And what's the case he's presenting? Well, first, it's his life. He's presenting his life as a case to God. Because David's under duress, he's suffering persecution by some of those who are around him. And so in order for David to have God, the judge, vindicate him, he must first bring his life before God to show that he has a just cause. And what I mean by just cause is, David's not saying that he's not a sinner. Because he is. David knows he's a sinner. So he's not saying he's sinless, but what he's saying is in this case, in this case, he's blameless. He's innocent of these charges. The charges that these men, his enemies, are persecuting him with, that are after him with. He's saying that, that there's a clash between me and these guys that are persecuting me, and I ask you, God, as judge, to step into this situation as your role as judge and to judge fairly. So why does David pray this way? What does this show us about God? That he can appeal to God as judge this way. Well, because David would never, ever appeal to God as judge if he wasn't in the right. Because David is walking with God. Which means David, that David repents and he confesses his sin to God. 
and knows that God is merciful and full of grace to those who are on the way of the righteous. Again, this shows God knows his own. And so David can come to God as judge. He can throw open his life. He can throw open his life like an open book, knowing that he is walking closely with God. And God knows David's heart. And David has full confidence that if the Lord acts as judge, he is in the right. And then God will judge with perfect righteousness and everything will come out good for David. And we can see how this psalm starts out. This is just like an urgent prayer. It's a cry of lamentation. Lamentation means it's a cry of pain. It's sorrow. It's confusion. He says, Hear a righteous cause, O Yahweh, give heed to my cry of lamentation. This is serious. It's, It's help me, O Yahweh. And the rest of verse 1, give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. Again, notice the confidence that his life is an open book for God, the judge. And we can see three ways that David's asking the judge for help here in verse 1. We have hear, hear a just cause. We have heed, heed to my cry. And we have give ear, give ear to my prayer. And so this is serious. David's saying, I'm coming to the courts of heaven and I'm bringing my case before the just and holy judge of heaven and earth. David says, give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. He knows, and God knows, that he doesn't have deceitful lips. But that's what he's being charged with. These men that are persecuting, they're saying that David is a liar, that he's untruthful, that he's deceitful. David's been slandered. But before God, he says, Lord, hear my prayer. It's not from deceitful lips. In fact, Lord, they're the ones that, are, that have the lying lips. David, David is really defenseless here. And the reason is, is because slander is something that's almost impossible to fight against. Because people tend to make up their minds about something that's true, even if it isn't. And so then it's almost impossible to get them to see that what they thought was true isn't true. That's why slander is a horrible sin. For David, it, it, looks like, it looks like this is happening all around him, behind his back. And now in verse 2, he says, May, may my judgment come, under, come from your presence. He's saying, God, you judge the facts. And then, you bring the verdict. God, judge me. And if I'm in the right, vindicate me. God, judge me and find me blameless. And this is the, really the key to this prayer. Because for David to have the faith to pray like this, he has to be right with God. That means with God the judge, he has nothing to hide. There are no skeletons in David's closet. There's no unconfessed sin in his life. And because of this, he, he can come to God, the judge, without any guilt or fear because he's blameless. He's a sinner. He knows he's a sinner. But he's repented. He's confessed. And he knows that God the Father has forgiven him. Each and every time he sins, he confesses it to God. He's a man after God's own heart. And if what these men are accusing him of was true, David's saying, Lord, you would, you would have showed it to me. You would have brought it to my mind and I would have repented. And at the end of verse 2, David writes, May your eyes behold what is upright. He's saying, God, will you give a judgment? 
that will be a true judgment. Again, David knows he's helpless to stop this slander. There's no person on earth that can help him, but he knows where to go. He knows who he can bring all of this to. And what we're seeing here in these first two verses are how David understands just who God is. He has a deep knowledge of God. He knows the God that he is praying to, that he's walking with. He knows he's appealing to the all-knowing, all-righteous God. The God that knows everything, including the inner desires, the inner thoughts of the human heart. And that's how God will be able to judge the situation. Because he already knows all about it. David knows that God isn't just sitting far off in his heavenly throne, far away from what's happening in the universe, not aware of what's going on on earth. David knows that God is closely connected to His creation and that He knows everything that's going on. He knows each and every detail of everything going on in everyone's life and that God knows the righteous and He knows the wicked. He knows those who are His and those who are not. And David knows that God already knows all about what he's going through, what he's praying for before he even prayed for it. That God is all-knowing. That God is all... He sees everything. And that He's righteous. We always need to have Psalm 1-6 in our mind as we walk through the Psalms. Psalm 1-6, remember, for Yahweh knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So David knows that, that God is judge and will judge, and He judges in perfect righteousness according to His own holy character. So Yahweh God knows the heart of David. He, knows, he also knows the heart of those men who are persecuting him and those who are slandering him. God knows everyone's heart. And so David here in verse 2, he calls God here Yahweh. And we've gone over this already. We see this a lot in the Psalms where David cries out to Yahweh. And Yahweh is the God of the covenant. The God of the covenant who has made great promises and, and he has sworn to keep them. David saying, God, you are a righteous. God, you know. God, you are a promise-keeping God to your people. So I have the honor to appeal to you with confidence that you will honor my prayer and bless me in the end. He's calling to the judge who sees, the judge who knows. And what David is, again, showing us here is what's most important in life is what God thinks. It's not what other people think. Sometimes we put way too much importance on what other people think about us. But what ultimately matters is what God thinks. What is God's verdict on our life? I've heard Steve Lawson say this many times. He, said, he says, if we please God, it doesn't matter who we displease. And if we displease God, it doesn't matter who we please. So as we walk with the Lord, we're to please Him in everything. And this is in David's heart. Again, David knows he's not righteous by anything he's done, but he's declared righteous because of what what's God has done. And in, in this circumstance, he's not guilty of what he's being accused of, uh, of what he's being charged of. So when we're bullied or ridiculed for our faith, we do like David and we bring it to God. And we walk with Him in a closeness so our lives will be like an open book. We have no unconfessed sin. We have no hidden sins. And so we can pray, hear us, Lord. There's no guilt. We have nothing to hide. Hear us, Lord, as we, as we bring a just cause before you. 
David's praying to God as judge. And now he goes on in verse 3. And notice that he's now asking God to test him fully. (laughs) To get the magnifying glass out and examine him. Here's this open book of his life again. Verse 3. David says, you have tested my heart. You have tested my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tried me. You find nothing. I have proposed that my my mouth will not transgress. Again, there's no secrets. There's nothing hidden. And we see another character of God here, and that's God sees not as man sees. Because man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks in the heart. David writes, you have tested my heart. God looks on our heart each and every day because because this is the real us. (laughs) It's not our outward presentation to the world. No, the real you and me is what's deep inside our heart and soul. And David's heart has been tested. And this word tested, it's that word that is used to purify gold or silver. It's when gold or silver is purified in a red-hot furnace. And it becomes liquefied and all the impurities rise to the top and then they're, they're all skimmed away and all that's left is pure, precious gold or silver. This is the testing process. And David understands that every moment of every day, this is what God does with us. He sees what's in our heart, all our secret thoughts, all of our inner motives, all of our hidden desires. And so all of us should be asking our Lord to test our heart. It's not just before communion, but every day we should be asking the Lord to test our heart. David has prayed, God, please test me. Show me. Show me if there's anything I need to repent of to confess before you. Again, it's always easier to see other sins, right, (laughs) than our own. David's saying, God, please test me. Try me. Show me. If we want to be like David, a man after a man or woman after God's own heart. We need to be like David. and We need to do like he asked for in Psalm 139. In Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. This is what David said. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. Lord, is there anything hurtful in my life? Is there anything hurtful to me? Is there anything hurtful to you? And then David says in verse 3, he says, you have visited me by night. So God has examined David. He is near to David. And this by night, it has the thought of that when no one else is looking, when we're all alone, when we are really what we are, When it's in the dark, when no one else can see us, when we're in our pajamas, we're trying not to look our best for everyone. David's saying, God, you are there. And you see me in the dark. And you see everything about me that others don't see about my life. God, you never sleep. You're always watching me. You're always watching my heart. And it's not just his heart, but our heart as well. And so what's the verdict here? For David in verse 3. Well, he says, you have tried me and you find nothing. Wow. That sounds very bold, doesn't it? 
After trying me, you find nothing. And again, we know from reading First and Second Samuel that David is a sinner. David's like us. He's a sinner. So how can he make this statement? Well, again, David is talking here about the charges that have come against him. That all these charges that these men have accused him of, they're not true. He says, you find nothing. You know these are not true. And at the end of verse 3, he says, I have proposed that my mouth will not transgress. So here are these guys who are slandering me, Lord. I've made it a point. I'm not going to slander them back. I'm not going to stoop to their level. I'm not going to sin with my mouth. He's saying, Lord, I only want to speak the truth. David's asking God, the righteous judge, to examine his heart to show that he has nothing to hide. And he goes on in verse 4. He says, As for the deeds of man, by the word of your lips, I have kept from the paths of the violent. By the, by the word of God's law, by the, by, by the words of your lips, Lord, I have kept from the paths of the violent. So David's kept from the paths of the, of the vicious, which tells us that, that these men who are persecuting him, they're on, they're on paths of destruction. They love to destroy anything that's good or righteous. And David, said, David says, I haven't been pulled on, onto their path. He's saying, Lord, I won't join them on their path. I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep with your word. I'm going to stay on the path that you have. Your word. And we see echoes of of Psalm 1 here. Remember Psalm 1.1? It says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of Yahweh. David says, I'm not going to be pulled. I'm not going to be pulled into this flow of what's going on. That if the world is going this way, I'm going to go the other way. I'm sticking with God's Word. Even if it comes with a cost, I'm going to keep my feet on the path of godliness. David's asking God, the righteous judge, examine me, search me. Please, I do not want anything to become between me and you, O Yahweh. And now verse 5. David says, My steps have held fast to your paths. He's on the way of the righteous, the path of the righteous, and he's sticking to that path. And when he talks about his steps here, he's talking about his choices. His daily choices that he's made in his life. And so what David's saying here is, is that he walks and his daily behavior, his steps, they have held fast. They're stayed on the Lord's path. And so suffering through this, it hasn't changed that. It hasn't pulled him away from the Lord. No, in fact, it's drawn him closer to the Lord. So he's not reading God's Word and, and, and losing confidence in it. No, he's even more committed to God's Word. Notice here that the paths are in plural. My steps have held fast to your paths. Usually it's path. So why more than one path here? Well, David is showing us more about God's character. He's showing us that when we seek God's will... There's, there's more going on than what we may think. Because there's, there's complexity, there's diversity, there's, there's intricacies, there's, there's all this going on for the will of God in our lives. This means in every area of our lives, everything is taken into consideration. So as we go through life, as we go through tests and trials, 
God can work in a million ways, showing us something about our life that we need to work on. Because God never stops molding us and shaping us to be more like His Son, Jesus Christ. And there's so much going on as we walk with God and as we become more like His Son. Remember, David is asking God to examine him, to search him, and see if he's innocent. He's suffering here, and the only place he can go for justice is Yahweh. And so he's standing before the judge, and he's laying out all the evidence of his life before God. David's saying, Yahweh, you are the righteous judge. I have sought to follow your word, and my life, I live for you. You know my heart. I'm laying everything out before you. Examine me and see if I have been charged with, with these things that I've been tried, tried, charged with, if they're true. And if they are true, show me that and I'll repent. And David knows that God already knows what the verdict will be. And he trusts God. And then David ends verse 5 with, My footsteps have not stumbled. Lord, I haven't fallen into sin because of this. I haven't slipped off the path of righteousness. I haven't caved into the pressure. No, my footsteps haven't stumbled. I've stayed true to your word. It's an old saying. I'm not sure who said it first, but it's, it's true. The saying goes, either Scripture will keep us from sin, or sin will keep us from Scripture. There's that, that sanctifying power in God's word. And David knows and understands God's righteousness. That's an anchor. That's an anchor. It's a rock of refuge that we can hold on to. David knows the God to whom he is praying to. And first, he prays to God as the judge. He's asking God, the judge, to examine him, to test him, to see if he's blameless in this crisis. And he can trust God, the judge, because his life is an open book. And he has nothing to hide before a holy and righteous God. He's saying, Lord, I'm either guilty or innocent, but you know me. You know I'm not guilty of this. This is David's case before the judge. And now second, we'll see David praying to, the, to God, the compassionate Savior, in verses 6-12. through 12. David will pray to God, his compassionate Savior, So as David stands before God, the judge, his life is an open book. It's all spread out for him to see. He's 100% confident in this trial, in this case, that he will be found not guilty. Because God is a righteous judge and knows what's in David's heart. And so we can trust in everything that will happen. So because of that, David can also look to God as his compassionate Savior. David's He's in real danger here. His life is in danger. So he needs a Savior. And look at verse 6. He says, I have called upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Notice the reason David can call upon the Lord. For you will answer me. This is a man of faith and confidence. This isn't something that David does to make himself feel better psychologically. No, he knows that there is a God in heaven who hears him when he prays. And not only that, but will answer him as well. And the rest of verse 6, he says, Incline your ear to me. Hear my speech. David's not holding back. He's praying with a boldness and confidence to his compassionate Savior. 
When we know the God to whom we are praying to, it helps us pray better. When we pray like David is here, we can see that that he's done his homework, that he's thought hard about his situation, and he understands what's going on. And now he's praying with a confidence that God will hear him. And that, and that helps his mind to be able to rest in that. And now in verse 7, he says, Marvelously, show your loving kindness. This is the first time in the book of Psalms where we find this word loving kindness or steadfast. It will appear some 30 times throughout the book of Psalms. And again, this is God's steadfast love. And what it means is God's loyal love to His own. It's God's faithful commitment to care for those that He's brought into a covenant with Himself. It's a steadfast love that's unwavering. And so the word loving kindness is a very important word. It's very important because loving kindness means it's a covenant love, and we know what a covenant means. A covenant is something that can never be broken. And so this covenant love by God for for His own, it can't be broken, which means when God calls all those into a covenant with Him, that covenant brings with it His loving kindness, His steadfast love, which will never end. That means this is God's eternal, everlasting, sovereign love for His own children. This kind of loving kindness isn't for the world, but it's just for His children. It's a special love that's only for God's own people. It's it's the kind of love that a father would have for his own children. We know that, oh sure, a dad can love other people's children, but the love for his own children, well, that's special. That's different. It's a special loving kindness reserved for his own children. And this is what David's clinging on to here. David's saying, God, please show me your unbreakable, unshakable love that started so long ago. You chose me before the foundation of the world. Even before the world began, you had a loving kindness for me. And it will continue throughout all eternity. Again, David's appealing to God, not as judge here, but as his Savior. And God delivers his people. Look at the next line in verse 7. David says, O Savior of those who take refuge at your right hand. When David talks about a Savior, remember he's writing this a thousand years before Christ. So in his mind, God as Savior is God delivering His people out of slavery in Egypt. And those ten plagues and the parting of the Red Sea and keeping His people safe for 40 years in the wilderness. O Savior of those who take refuge at your right hand. At God's right hand. Is there anything more powerful than that? In all the universe, anywhere, What is more powerful than God's right hand? Remember, David's asking for God's protection here. And so when things in our life, they look like they're out of control, when the wicked are pressing down on us hard, what we need to do is cling to the right hand of God, and David knows the God to whom he is praying to. And so he prays marvelously, Show your loving kindness, O Savior, of those who take refuge at your right hand. And then the rest of verse 7. He says, from those who rise up against them. It's these enemies. These enemies that have come against your children. They're coming against your people. We take refuge, we take safety at your right hand. So because David's been reconciled to God through faith, that means 
he has faith in how God will respond to him, that he will deal with him in righteousness. He's sure, he's confident that God will show his loyal love to him and get him through the situation. And now in verse 8, David's going to show us a two-word, this two-word pictures. These are word pictures. There's two of them, of God and His compassionate Savior. Here's the reason why we can rest in God's right hand for protection. Look at verse 8. He says, keep me as the apple of the eye. <laughs> That's the first word picture. And it's a beautiful one. And when David speaks here of apple of the eye, the apple is the pupil of the eye. And the pupil is the most sensitive part of the human body. If you've ever gotten a tiny piece of dirt or ever been poked in your eye, you know it hurts. So we're very protective of our eyes. In fact, we flinch or jerk back when something comes too close to them. Our bodies just do that instinctively. And so here, David is saying, God, protect me like a man protects the pupil of his own eye. Protect me as if I were the pupil, the apple of your own eye. It's a great word picture. God, protect us like we're the apple of your own eye. And so we ask the question, does David know the God to whom he's praying to? He knows he's not just, he knows he's not just the blister on the bottom of one of God's feet. He knows he's not just a wart on the back of God's hand. No, because of God's covenant love, his loving kindness, David knows that he is in the tender place, the apple of God's eye. And now the second word picture in verse 8. He says, hide me in the shadow of your wings. We have the imagery of a mother bird protecting her babies. We can see the influence of Moses here. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 32, we have the Song of Moses. And what the Song of Moses does is it shows us God's faithfulness to Israel, even when Israel was unfaithful to God. And in Deuteronomy chapter 32, in verses 10 and 11, when Moses writes this, he's, he's talking to the people of Israel. When he writes him, he's talking about Israel. And when he writes he, he's talking about God. And so Moses writes in Deuteronomy, he says, he found him in the desert land and in a howling waste of wilderness. He encircled him and cared for him. He guarded him as the pupil of his eye. Like an eagle stirs up its nest that hovers over its young, he spread his wings and caught them. What a perfect word picture of God, the compassionate Savior and his loving kindness and his steadfast love for the nation of Israel. And it's an amazing word picture of how God cares for His own. David's saying, God, I'm safe in the shadow of Your wings. And so, this is something we need to remember. That when we're attacked by those who hate Christ, we can remain safe in the shadow of God's wings. So that means that nothing can ever get to us unless it first passes through God's wings. And this should give us great comfort because there's nothing that can ever come into our lives that God doesn't allow for His glory and for our good. Everything has to pass through Him. So how comforting is it to know that God is fending off everything but what He wants to come into our lives for His purpose and for our good. We need to know that the God to whom we pray to. And now in verse 9, David will move from God protecting His own to God 
will you please deal with these enemies? So he ends verse 8 with, hide me in the shadow of your wings. So who does he need to hide from? Well, verse 9. He says, from the wicked who devastate me, my deadly enemies who surround me. It's these guys. They sound like they're really out for blood. These are deadly enemies. David needs to hide in the shadow of God's wings from the wicked who devastate him. Devastate here means to lay waste to, to destroy. So these guys aren't neutral. They're not misguided. They're not being misled. No, they're, they're out to get David. Notice he says, my deadly enemies are out to get me. Deadly. They want to take his life. David's in trouble. And although we might not have people surrounding us to take our lives, we, we can still be surrounded at work or at school by those wanting us to join in with some activity or some celebration to honor something sinful that we can't because of our faith. And so we feel surrounded. But we must trust that God will come alongside us. If we really know to whom it is we're praying to, if we have a close personal relationship with God, we can ask for and get His protection. And then in verse 10, he says, they have closed their unfeeling heart. And the Hebrew here, it really means their fat heart. Which means their heart is full of fat of the choicest and best part or the abundance of what this world has to offer. So they're living for the best of what this world has to offer. Which means they're living for this world. They're living all out for what the world has to offer. They have everything this world can offer. And so because of this, their heart is insensitive. It's unfeeling. It's, it's heartless. They don't care about anything but what they want. And so their heart is not sensitive to the things of God. It's a, again, it's an unfeeling heart. It's a heart that's fat on the things of this world. They could care less about God. They could care even less about David. All they want to do is bring him down so they can be brought up. And so it makes sense that next in verse 10, David writes, with their mouth they speak proudly. They think they're so great because they have everything the best of this life has to offer. And so they're, they're smug. They think because they have so much of what this world has to offer and because of this, everyone around them they, thinks they're so great that they just cater to them. They just wait on them hand and foot. They admire them. They wait with bated breath to hear what they have to say next or what they think. The rest of the world just waits to see what these people are thinking and what they have to say. So they can think the same way. After all, they have all the answers. They have everything this world has to offer. And so everyone just jumps on board to what they're saying and what they're doing. And then in verse 11, David says, They have now surrounded us in our steps. Notice in verse 11, David changes it to us. It's now us. They have surrounded us. David's including all of those who are with him. It's David's followers. It's his friends. It's his family. It's all those who are in God's loving kindness. And the circle is getting tighter. It's getting closer. These guys are moving in on David and those who are with him. They have a plan and it seems to be working for them. They're out to get David. They're going to take him down, him and his friends. They're going to take him out of leadership. They're going to take him, them out of their place in Israel. And then verse 11, it goes on. He says, they set their eyes to cast us down to the ground. 
This shows the hatred in their heart towards the things of God and the people of God. And this, this gives the idea of like after a kill that the carcass is just laying on the ground. It's dead. They're like wild animals out for the kill. And look at verse 12. He is like a lion that is eager to tear. Notice the he here. He is like a lion. David is now focusing on the leader. There's always, there's always somebody that's the, the leader, or the ringleader, right? There's always someone that can get people to follow them down a bad road. And this guy becomes the mastermind of the scheme. He has the plot, the plan. David's saying, Lord, my enemy is wicked. He's arrogant. He wants to bring me down. He wants to tear me apart like a lion would rip into a zebra that wants to eat it. And then David ends verse 12 with, as a young lion lurking in hiding places. Gives us the picture of a young lion that's out for his first kill. And he's going about it very carefully because he wants to show the other male lions that he's ready to join in with the pride. And so to live faithful for the Lord, it means we're, we're going to stand out more. And living faithful brings with it a cost because the world doesn't like that. The world is closing in tighter and tighter. And a faithful life will get noticed more and more. And persecution will come. You know, back in the day, some Christians used to be able to blend in more. They could, they could camouflage their faith. But the time is come where that's not possible anymore. David knows the God to whom he is praying to. And here David is praying to God, his compassionate Savior. God will look out for him. And this is the prayer of an obedient man. David is showing his character, the depth and deepness of God's character also. And in order for us to pray this way, we need to know God this way. So first, David prayed to God as his judge. Second, David prayed to God as his compassionate Savior. And now third, David will pray to God as his satisfying protector. Verses 13 through 15. His satisfying protector. And so if the wicked are strong like a lion, well then David's going to need a powerful protector. And what he prays for is for battle, for a fight. He's praying, go get him, Lord. Look at verse 13. He says, arise, O Yahweh, confront him, bring him low. But notice what David's doing. Notice who it is he's leaving the vengeance to. He's leaving the vengeance to the Lord. He knows Yahweh's got this. David's leaving the battle to the Lord because the battle belongs to the Lord. And so because the battle belongs to the Lord, now David's not calling on God as judge. He's not calling on God as his compassionate Savior. He's praying to God as his satisfying protector. Now David is looking for refuge. He's looking for safety. And there's no better place he could ever go. And what's even better for David is Yahweh will go to battle for him. He says, arise, O Yahweh. Confront him. Bring him low. He's saying, go out against him. Meet him face to face in battle, Lord. And remember, David prayed, God, if, if these accusations against me are true, I want you to bring them I want you to bring me down if they're true, but if they're not, Lord, I want you to bring them down. Verse 13 goes on. He says, protect my soul from the wicked with your sword. 
Notice what it is that David asked God to use for protection with. It's not God's fist. It's not God's foot. No, it's God's sword. He's saying, God, unsheathe your sword and protect my soul from these wicked men. And then in verse 14, David says, from men with your hand, O Yahweh, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. David's saying, God, with your hand, draw your sword against these men of the world. You're my satisfying protector. Go out and face these men of the world. This phrase, men of the world, that's, a, that's an Old Testament phrase. It means that these are, these are men who are living for the world. They're full of the world. This is all they live for, the evil of this world. This is, this is what they want. They love it. They live for the world system whose portion is, he says, in this life. So everything they desire, everything they have is temporal. It's all passing away. They have a total, a totally earthbound, worldly point of view. And so what else are these earthbound men of the world doing? Well, verse 14 goes on. And whose belly you fill with your treasure. So even those outside of God's grace, those outside of His kingdom, God still feeds, He still clothes, and He sustains their life. God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He causes the sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. So they receive God's gifts. The gifts of food, water, air to breathe. And they fill their stomachs with Yahweh's blessing, but they never give Him thanks. They take the gift, but they ignore and reject and sin against the giver. And then the rest of verse 14. He says, they are satisfied with children and they leave their excesses to their infants. So for the wicked, because of common grace, they they can enjoy marriage. They can be blessed with families. God God is so wonderful and so so gracious that His his goodness, it it just drips down onto the ungodly and on the wicked. That He provides enough for them and their families. But they're totally focused on the world. They're focused on creation, not the Creator. And now in verse 15, notice here David will change his focus. He's still praying to the satisfying protector, but now it's not for confrontation. It's not for battle. But now it's for glorification. David ends this psalm on a high note. Verse 15. He says, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. And this is a familiar pattern for David as he prays. And we we see this in so many of the Psalms that he writes. He just begins his prayers by pouring out his heart. He's either in danger or or he's just praising God, whatever he's doing. But by the end of it, his heart is right where it needs to be. That means he's not spinning in a downward direction but he's, he's, he's always moving in an upward direction. And the more he prays, the more he brings everything on his heart before God. And it doesn't become more discouraged. No, his heart becomes more encouraged. Why? Because he knows the God to whom he's praying to. He knows God. He trusts God. He submits to God. This God, this judge, this compassionate Savior, His satisfying protector... 
And so he begins verse 15 with, as for me. So what he's doing is he's showing us the contrast here. He's showing us the contrast between the earthly, worldly, loving, earthbound men that don't love him. But he's saying, but as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. David knows that one day he will be in the presence of the Lord and see him face to face. We saw that last week when we walked through Psalm 16. We saw that David's most cherished treasure, his most ultimate desire, the thing his heart is most set on, is still yet to come. And that's seeing the judge, his compassionate Savior, and his satisfying protector face to face. That's the contrast that David wants us to see. The contrast of these worldly loving men whose greatest treasure is the best of what this world has to offer. But David doesn't care about the things of this world. No, it's being with with God forever. This is where all his affections are found. And this is a man after God's own heart. And then he ends verse 15 with, I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. What greater pleasure could there ever be than to behold the face of God in righteousness? Even though David is in duress, even though he's in a bind, he's he's looking beyond it. He's looking past it. David knows about the hardships of this life. He has the scars from standing firm for the Lord. But he looks past all of those. And he sees that day when he will see the face of God. And that's, it's all worth it. Everything he endured will be worth it. That standing firm, standing strong in faith for the Lord, even though it brings with it a cost, in the end, it's worth it. Because like David said, I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. He will see God because he has stood strong in the faith and his cause was a just cause. And so the judge on the final day will reward him. And the compassionate Savior on the final day will welcome him home. And the satisfying protector on the final day will keep him forever. And he will will need nothing else. And so, as we wrap this up, as as we conclude today, Do we know the God to whom we pray to? Do we understand His vastness, His greatness? And today David gave us a blueprint on how to pray. First, we saw God as judge. And we need to come to God as judge like David did, but we come to Him as judge with a repented and confessed heart. We ask Him to search us, to test us, to reveal any sin that we need to repent of. Because God can see our heart. He knows already if we're hiding any sin. And so we come to Him with our lives like an open book. And when we do, we know if we are in the right, then God will judge with perfect righteousness and everything will come out good for us in the end. Because God hears the prayers of obedient men and obedient women. Second, David prayed to God as His compassionate Savior. That all believers who who He shows His loving kindness to. That's all of us who are saved. It's those who God calls into a covenant relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. Because our Lord Jesus went to the cross and died in our place, 
if we've repented and we believe, we are now forgiven and we are now God's children. We are in God's loving kindness, which will never end. That means this is God's eternal, everlasting, sovereign love for His own children. So even when we blow it, and we sin, and we fall short, we can come to our Lord as our Heavenly Father and ask for forgiveness, and it will be granted. And because He is our covenant God, and He's brought us into this covenant, loving relationship with Himself, when we pray, He will hear us. He is our compassionate Savior. And then third, David prayed to God as his satisfying protector. So when we're up against it, when we're surrounded, when the world looks at us as the problem, we go to our Heavenly Father and He will be our protector. Because the battle belongs to the Lord. And the reason He is our satisfying protector is that through our Lord Jesus, we belong to Him and that one day we will see Him face to face. And that's our greatest treasure. That's our most satisfying thing we could ever want. And so when we think about it, all the hardships of this life, with all the scars and all the wounds we carry with us for standing firm for the Lord, our prayer should lead us to look past all of them and then look up. Look up to our Heavenly Father. And, and, and we're reminded of the day when we will see Him again. We will see Him face to face. And we will be with Him. And it will all be worth it. Everything we've endured will all be worth it. So standing firm, standing strong in faith for our Lord, even though it brings with it a cost, but in the end it's all worth it because we know the God to whom we pray to and we will be with Him forever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. Father, how it changes us. Father, we thank You that You are our protection. You are our satisfaction. You are the God who sees. You are the God who sympathizes. You are the God who is faithful. And we look forward to the day when we see You face to face. Father, we see the world getting darker and more wicked. And although this life is rough, we are thankful that You are still on Your throne. And we can't wait for the day when we see You face to face and we all get to cry out together, worthy is the Lamb. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.